That's the tallest building in town. The library, because it has the most stores. We didn't own a car, so we would go to the library with a shopping cart and fill um, the shopping cart with our books. I was probably about six or seven, and my mom took me to our local library for a story time. I went with my dad every Saturday morning. I remember coming here like since we moved here when I was five, and every summer we'd do the summer reading program. As the years have gone by, you begin to realize how much you know, interesting stuff the library has to offer besides books. When I was growing up, my aunt would always take me to the library. I was in third grade, and then I loved the library, the Carnegie Library. I went to the story times that were at the library. The librarian was my dad. Welcome to the tallest building in town, where we tell stories about libraries and the people who use them. I'm Shauna. And I'm Steve. And we work at Sun Prairie Public Library in Sun Prairie, Wisconsin. So we're talking about space in this season. Yeah, and today we're talking about shared spaces, specifically a public library and a public library. What happens when they... You just said a public library and a public library. (laughs) A public library and a school library share a space. When they're co-located. When they're co-located. I don't think I've actually ever been to one. Neither of us have been inside one. Yeah, there aren't very many of them in the state. There's only eight co-located school (laughs) and public libraries in Wisconsin, and we spoke to two of them. I mean, I learned a lot, actually, despite knowing nothing before. Yeah. I didn't know... (laughs) I I didn't know that they couldn't operate together as one combined library. Right. They're, They're two libraries using one single space. Right. And so this is this is why we say co-located and not combined. Right. Because they are not They are combined. separate. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess the idea behind this is, in case people aren't familiar with this, uh, in some communities, um, the public, either the public library or the school library can't exist in the community because there's not, there's not enough money to support a large library for the community. And so they, the two then join forces, sort of. Sort they of. go into one space. Mm-hmm. But they're not really joined forces. So in the case of uh, the Granton Community Library, uh, where I talked to the director there, um, they they were a small library, uh, really small. She called it a storefront library. And she you know, says that they had just outgrown their space, but they had no money to expand. Um, and just actually, just a couple of years ago, went into the school and... Now it's a it's a shared space. She's actually the director of the public library and the school media specialist. So she wears both hats and, and they are two separate hats, if you will. Because <laughs> she reports to two different two different people. Right. Uh, so that's that's a little strange. There's not probably I think she's the only one in the state where the, the same person is running both. It's a really entities. rare position. Yeah. At the Denmark Branch Library, this is a little different. They're both small places, right? Denmark is a village of about 2,100 people, but it's operating within the Brown County Public Library. And I spoke with Bobby, who is the branch manager and doesn't wear those two hats. Yeah. And they used to have a library that was very small and they needed more space. And so they decided to go and live in the high school. Yeah, so it's very rare. Uh, like we said, there's not very many of these 
in the state. And I think all of them are in what the DPI considers rural communities. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Although, I mean, like Denmark, I mean, that's part of the kind of the greater Green Bay area, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, the population of the village is is like 2,000 people, but their service population is way bigger. Right. I don't know what their service population is, but I do know that the Brown County Public Library, the population that they're serving is about 258,000. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, they're, they live on where the fake thumb is of Wisconsin. The fake thumb? <laughs> yeah. Up this is like a the, thing where like people from Michigan are like, you don't have a real thumb. Yeah, yeah, that's where they are. <laughs> They're on that area. <laughs> and, you know, their main central library is in Green Bay. They've got eight branches and one bookmobile. And then Denmark is this tiny branch. And, you know, it's super useful in their village because they also, the closest libraries are about 20 miles away hmm. from, from Denmark. So, okay. you know, it is really useful in the community but we're going to get into these interviews soon and their library hours though changed and so they're not actually open when the schools open and so they're open pretty much in the evenings and so that causes a lot of you know conflicts with the, you know how do you serve your community if you're only open in the evening times right so you and I have talked about like what are the pros and cons of having a shared space Mm-hmm. A public and a school library together. <laughs> right, right. When I when I was uh, at a small library, that was one of the things that was suggested by our village board was, um, oh, you want a bigger library? Why don't you just combine with the school library? And who brought that up? It was a, it was a village board member. Okay. Who? Yeah. Um, I mean, and and honestly, I mean, they're you know, from one perspective, they're trying to be practical. Sure. The school district gets gets kind of whatever they need. It seems like in the in terms of of building spaces. I mean, like right now we're going through that in Sun Prairie, where we just had a referendum and we're going to be getting a new high school. Yeah. Which is a huge building, and you know we need an uh, an expanded library. And, we do. And we're but <laughs> but we're not going to get that. <laughs> um, you know, and it's just it's like there's only so much money to go around. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it was suggested that it would save money for everybody if the the public library moved into the school. Um, but there's really there's a lot of um, there's a lot of pros and, and cons. And I guess I mean coming from a public library background, and I don't I don't know if this is true for you, but for me, it looks like there's more cons than pros. Yeah, it, it does. But it's true that I've also mainly lived like as an adult in a larger space. Yeah. And yeah. didn't think about libraries as much when I lived in a rural space. Mm. So I can see it working for that community. Yeah. But yeah. Um, far as it functioning to the best of its, I don't know what that even looks like. Or maybe like you were talking about before, like there might not be a library if they're if they're not sharing space. Right. So right. I think, and I think that's what the case is with a lot of these. I looked at Granton's budget. Yeah. And like their entire budget is less than fifty thousand dollars a year. Wow. Yeah. I mean, they have a service population uh, in their community of three hundred and fifty people. So it's really, really small. I like see. it's small. Like it's it's I think number seven, the seventh smallest library in the state. Oh. Um, and they're all right around like between two and four hundred. Uh, people in their service population. Hmm. 
So it's small. And it's good. Kay has nothing but good things to say about their collaborative space. So the Grant Community Library is in Clark County, and uh, it is considered to be a rural isolated community, according to the DPI, the annual annual report. That's that's how they call that's what they call it. Oh, great! Which means that it's there's the closest library I think is is about thirty miles away, mm. um, and like I said, it's very very small. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's I don't know something I love about these super small communities is that they at some point someone decided to open a library, and they don't want to let that go. You know, so they'll mm-hmm. they'll do whatever they can to to keep that going, even if it means making a choice like this. Yeah, which turns out good. My name is Kay Hiding. I'm the library director for the Granton Community Library. I also serve as a library media specialist for the Granton Area School District and the Loyal Area School District. Can you share the history of um, the cooperation with the school district and the public library? In 2012, the public library was very crowded. It was basically a storefront building, and we shared that with the village office. 400 square feet. Books were stacked on top of each other. Books were stored in boxes if they weren't used very often. They started looking at other options, and they just talked to the school, and the school said, yes, we have room. They talked about building a new space. They talked about remodeling, all of those things, but the funding wasn't there. So the school board and the library board worked together to form this collaboration, and Uh, we opened in 2013 as a joint library. It's unusual for one to make the decision to sort of not really dissolve as a public library. We did meet some resistance from that. It was called Sampson Memorial Public Library. Okay. And the startup money was given by um, Mrs. Sampson with the sole intent of starting a library in the village of Granton. She was a teacher at the school, and she felt very strongly that we needed a library. Hmm. So we had a lot of discussion about the move and changing our name and all of those things. But I really believe that Mrs. Sampson would be happy with what we've done to make the library better and to serve the kids and the community. So it's really been good. The first year was a little bit of a struggle to get the public patrons to come in. They didn't feel quite comfortable of coming into the school and they Mm. weren't sure how that would play out. But now we're getting more and more public patrons coming in to the building. Last year we put in door buzzers, so that set us back a little bit because the school needs to buzz you in Mm -hmm. before you can come into the library, and some of our older patrons weren't comfortable with that. Yeah, I'm just trying to picture what the what the layout is. You have your there's a separate door for the library. You have to come in through the main door of the school. Okay. But then as soon as you walk into the the foyer of the school, if you turn right, our door is right there for the library. And if you turn left, it's right there for the office. Yeah. And when the school's not in session, the doors are not locked. So when you come in for evening hours, you can just come right in and come to the library. Um, how do you work the, the hours and um, the, the access to the different community members? So we are open during the school year 8 to 4 every weekday. We have evening hours on Tuesday and Thursday until 7 o'clock. And we have Saturday hours, 9.30 to noon. So we're really able to serve our community any time. Before the move, the public library was only open 23 hours. Hmm. And now, because of our staffing, we can do 
nighttime hours and the kids come in for homework or they come in before their basketball games and it's a safe place for the kids. Oh, I can't get right I can't get there right after school hang out in the library until I can come yeah. and pick you up, you know. It's, so that's really been our hugest benefit. Hmm. And we staff three people. So I am the public di- library director, and I put in 10 hours a week for the public. But because I'm hired as the school librarian, they pay my 40-hour salary as well. Okay, wow. Then I have a part-time employee for the public, but it's the same person she works part-time for the school. So she's really in the library full-time. <laughs> wow. But she's getting paid by half by the school, which they can afford, and half by the village, which they could afford. Hmm. But neither entity would be able to pay her full-time. Sure. Um, can you explain a little bit about um, your funding process? Yes. That's another really cool part of this collaboration. So the village pays for salaries for my three staff members, or for me and my two staff members, and they pay for rent to the building, hmm. rent to the school. Okay. That's all that my village pays for. Wow. My library operating expenses comes from the county funds, and Clark County funds us at 78%, which is excellent. Nice, yeah. But that's what I buy all of my public materials with, is that 78% of my circulation. The school is funded by common school funds, Mm -hmm. and that is based on a formula with free and reduced lunches and a couple of other factors filtered in, but it doesn't care anything about circulation. So my common school funds have some pretty strict restrictions on what I can purchase, Most of my children's materials and most of my professional materials are purchased with the school money. And then the public money buys the adult materials, the DVDs, they pay for the programming budget. We usually take turns on supplies depending on what we need to buy. The school buys at one time, the library, the public buys at the next. Hmm. I couldn't run my library on the money I get from the county. Hmm. I couldn't run it well. Yeah. I couldn't run my school library well with the money that I get from the state. But when I put those two budgets together, I can run a pretty fantastic library <laughs> in a really small community. How much uh, interaction is there between the school side and the public side, whether it's classes coming in or you know instructional time or, or things like that? It really depends on the person that comes in. We greet everybody as they come in the door. So our staff is trained to say good morning, hello, so that we know that they're in the building and they know that we know Hmm. they're in the room. But when I'm teaching classes, because I have that second assistant who's there all the time, I just keep teaching classes and Hmm. she takes care of the public that comes in. Okay. Now, when grandma comes in and I have their kindergarten grandson... (laughs) (laughs) They're like, Grandma! And they'll run up and hug her, and then they'll come back to the story and it'll be fine. But that's part of the community that we've built because Mm. all of our patrons are community members. They come to the FFA fundraisers. Mm. They come to the school concerts. So even if they're not directly related as a a grandparent or because Granton is such a close-knit community, they'll stop and say, Hey, how's your day? Or did your mom get the note that I sent her? So it really becomes that community space 
and we know everybody who walks in the door. If we don't know you, then I will get up from the desk and I will come and personally introduce myself to establish that connection, again, of that community feel, trying to establish that even if you're not one of our regulars. There was a little bit of fear about the safety of the kids. Which bathroom will they use? How will we make sure that there's not a predator coming into the building? And those always weigh heavy on my mind. I need to make sure that my kids are safe, but I need to make sure that I'm serving the community in the best way that I can. So that was the biggest part of the discussion. At the time, the public library was still writing your name down on the white card and dating it two weeks and manually alphabetizing those when your books were due. Wow. So one of the really good things that the community wasn't quite ready to see was to say, we'll be automated. It will be mm. faster. You will know what books you have checked out. We can get you other books. Oh, I have everything I need to read right here. <laughs> so they were a little bit afraid of the newness and yeah. the ability to do more. They were kind of complacent, like, oh, these are the best books we have. And when I took over the position, I really wanted to open it up to say, no, we can get you anything you want. Hmm. And at first they were hesitant. They're like, no, I'll just read this. That's fine. I don't need to bother anyone. Right. <laughs> it's not a bother. I want to serve you. Um, I wanted everybody to understand that just because we're granting doesn't mean we have to have a subpar library. Hi, my name is Bobby Keene, and I'm the branch manager at the Brown County Library in Green Bay, Wisconsin. I manage two of our nine locations. One branch that I manage is our east branch on the east side of Green Bay, and the other branch that I manage is our Denmark branch located in Denmark High School. You come in the front door of the high school, and you walk through the doors, and we're up the stairs and on the right. So you really have to know that there's a library in there. We have a sign on the front door that gives library hours, but it's not, not really, obvious. really obvious that there's library inside the school. We provide two part-time staff to work in that space, and the school has a library media specialist. She spends part of her day in that space, and most of the time that area is staffed by a school paraprofessional. She works there full-time, Monday through Friday. I'm trying to picture how things are labeled differently or what it's kind of, how it's organized. Basically, we share resources and space. So some of the books in the library belong to the Brown County Library and some belong to Denmark High School. So we purchase some and they purchase some of the books. I was wondering what you think people would be most surprised to know about the space, which that could be anything from furniture to sounds or... I think that if you don't use the Denmark branch, you'd be surprised to learn that it's located in Denmark High School and that <laughs> yeah. it's been there for 20 years. People are surprised. That, oh, you have a library in Denmark? Where is that? <laughs> Denmark High School. And they're very surprised. So you have the same card and the same collection, Correct. but is there something Correct. that's different that somebody would have to know, right, if they were working there and serving the public? The person that is the primary person that works in the Denmark High School Library has been there for a very long time. Hmm. 
And um, over the years, I'm not sure how she was trained, but she is aware of what our circulation policies are and how to do just about anything that another Brown County librarian would be able to do. Last year in September, so a year ago in September, we were open most of the day in Denmark and then with some added evening hours. So we worked alongside the Denmark school uh, paraprofessional that works in that space. So we had two librarians there and the school staff member. Now in the space, we had um, the public coming in and we also had students in there. And what's also interesting to note is that's a study hall space for students as well. So sometimes during the day, half of that library is fairly full with students studying for the study hall. And the other half of the library, the space where the books are for the most part located, that's where the public is coming in and out. I see. So you do try to designate space that is meant for students and space that's meant for the public? Well, not exactly, but when students are there, there is a seating area that's really not in the traffic pattern of the public coming to check out books or, or browsing. That seems really important, right? Everyone needs space, and a lot of libraries are lacking space. If you're trying to have two different audiences, I just feel like that could be tricky. I'm wondering, yeah, if you what kind of space issues you might you might have? We have had some space issues between the library and the um, school. So sometimes if we wanted to put up a extra something in the library, the school staff might in the past occasionally have not been okay with that. Mm -hmm. So if we wanted to put an extra shelving unit, they might say we really don't have room for that in this space. So it would probably be a negotiation at that point. The library media specialist in Denmark serves their preschool, their elementary school, middle school, and high school. So she divides her time between all of those locations and doesn't work a lot of hours in the high school library. I communicate with her mostly via email. If there's an issue, we talk it out and we see what we can do. Sometimes the discussion might go to the school principal where he might be a more neutral party and make a decision. Yeah, I'm wondering yeah, how the branch um, ends up collaborating with the, with the school. And if there are examples as far as are there programs or? Well, in the past, we shared many hours with the school, as I said before. Unfortunately, um, about a year ago in September, the school, really unfortunately for us, but not for the school, the school found the need to put in an enhanced security system. Mm. That was in September 2018. And that system basically involved a mini background check for anybody coming into the school who wasn't a Denmark high school student. Mm -hmm. And that is a conflict for us based on um, the Wisconsin State Statute Chapter 43 that we operate under. We understood the school's need for increased security, but we couldn't have our public be subject to a background check. So as a result, we did have to change our operating hours at this location pretty drastically. So now our open hours begin at the end of the school day. So before this, 
we did more collaboration. For instance, teachers would contact us and ask if their classroom could come for instruction. We might talk to the students about reference techniques or give them some help looking for books on a specific topic, mm-hmm. um, or we might give them some instruction on how to use our resources. Since we have had a drastic change in our hours. We're really trying to feel out a little bit how this is working moving forward. Mm-hmm. Our, my staff is mostly scheduled after school, so there isn't a lot of time where during the school day where we can do this. I do go out to the Denmark branch monthly and provide a story time for the 4K students. Um, last year, we did collaborate with the library media specialist for a couple of these visits, and we each provided a portion of that instruction and lesson to the students coming in. Moving forward, I'm, I'm not sure how we're going to divide that task. Maybe it's a thing where in the past this has been working for a couple of decades, but maybe not now. Maybe that opens up conversation about different kinds of spaces <laughs> that you might need. It does. And then it also has opened up the conversation that pertains to, is that something that a library media specialist would normally do in that space? So maybe it's something that we can hand over to the library media specialist instead of us doing that kind of instruction. Have you had many conversations about needing a different space? Has that already happened over the years or has it happened in the past year? We really haven't. The arrangement that we have with the Denmark School is really works out well for both of us. I mean, it really is uh, an arrangement that is financially attractive to both parties and can have more books in that space. We're each sharing the cost of that. The library isn't really paying much of a fee to the school to be there. The school is paying a little bit for sharing in our operating system. So it's really a a give and take of both parties in terms of finances. And it's a much bigger location than um, we had previous to that. More than 20 years ago, we um, were a small building. We were located in a small rented space in the Denmark Village Hall and police station. So this partnership was advantageous to us. It, what happened was that the impetus for this was school superintendent at the time in 1977 really initiated this partnership. They were renovating the high school and they had a new media center and he thought that moving the public library to the school would improve access to reading materials for school children and it would bring the community together for library programs and it really has done that. We do provide programming for children, teens and adults at the Denmark location, you know, in the evening now, but that's the time for that adults are readily available and after school time is a great time to have programming as well. We don't have really like a impartial governing body that really um, polices this agreement. So um, sometimes communication is challenging. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think that that might, could be helpful if somebody's thinking of entering into a school library partnership. Another thing that would have helped us in some situations that we've had is having a separate entrance to the school. Yeah. That um, if we had a separate entrance to the school, there wouldn't be any concern over the security system if people could just come in through our door and wouldn't have to go through that background Mm. check. I think the most important thing in a partnership like this is that both parties want to see this partnership continue to be successful 
and that we are respectful of each other and our space and sometimes we have different missions so looking at how we can coexist and try to um, be true to what our missions are as well. I think all libraries have in common the idea of serving the community the best way that they can, which is something that Kay said in her interview. Sometimes that means a really drastic change, like combining with a school library. Um, We're going to continue looking at different libraries and how they use their spaces. In our next episode, we'll investigate the history of library architecture and what happens to Carnegie libraries when the space just doesn't work anymore, but the community wants to keep their beautiful, unique building. We've got so many of those in Wisconsin. Yeah. So that should be fun. Hopefully we'll be able to tour one. I would love to do that. First we said we were going to do something, then we were like, we would love to do that. (laughs) I didn't say we were going to tour it. I said we were going to investigate it. Okay. So that might just mean like we have to sit in front of our computer screens and investigate with Google Maps. (laughs) The Telus Building in Town is produced monthly in the studios of K-Sun Community Radio by Steve Baker and Shauna Kasegi, with support from the Sun Prairie Public Library and the Sun Prairie Media Center. You can listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and SoundCloud, or from the tallestbuildingintown.com. <laughs>